0: Good to see you this morning. Uh, If you have a Bible, why don't you jump with me to uh, Matthew chapter 3. And I want to talk about, um, I've entitled this one, Fathering a Fatherless Generation. Uh, Whilst you're turning there, let me just say say a wee bit on this. Um, I've never been a wild fan of my surname. Um, My surname is Bambrick, which, uh, that wasn't meant to be a joke, everybody. That is genuinely, okay, if we're going to make our own jokes, I can go home if this is how, you know. Uh, it doesn't fit well with a lot of names, to be honest. It's a tricky one. We had a challenging time with our, with our boys. had to find something that would work well with Bambrick, and that limits you. I do feel bad for Danny. So my wife, uh, originally, she, she's Bulgarian. Most of you knew that. Her actual name, her Bulgarian proper name, is it is Jordanka Ivanova Nesterova. Okay, ooh, <laughs> feisty brunette, anybody? Yeah, All right. Yeah, exactly, a tennis player. Yeah, she's going to win Wimbledon next year. And uh, and now she married me, and it becomes your Ivanova even over Bambrick, and you go that is a dog's dinner of a name, love. Sorry, like good thing I told her I was a rich westerner. Okay, and, uh, yeah, uh, and it's not even from anywhere exciting. It's I mean it's either Bainbridge or Banbridge. That's where that comes from. So yay, you know anyone? I don't hear from Banbridge. No, good, good, good. Uh, Anyway, like it or not, that is my surname and it is my dad's surname. That's how surnames work and it has been our surname for probably hundreds of years. I don't know the, the origin of it the whole way back and when that got adopted. But it is just one, it's a very small thing, but it's, it's one of many ways that we impact the generations that come after us. Our name is something that gets passed on. It's a small way of doing that, uh, but it it is nonetheless something that that has an impact. And I think it's interesting when we talk about generations, when we talk about uh, what we are doing. We we, we talked last week, if you recall, about uh, finding a lost generation and really looking at the challenge that we're facing as the church and as the people of God, particularly in the West, when it comes to reaching those who are coming after us. And... It is something, this idea of impacting the next generation, it's something that we are called to do as the church. It's something that it's not an optional extra force. This is not something that we can merely delegate out to a youth team or a kids team. It is something that is actually an essential part and core element of the mission of the church. The church of tomorrow will be determined by the church of today. You know, the the church of the future is going to be determined by the church of the present. Where we end up will be set by the direction that we are going in right now. We have to do something about this when we see a generation that is turning away from God in the way that they seem to be doing. And, and I didn't give a lot of practical last week. I we landed it briefly in this idea of the hearts of the fathers turning towards the children, the older generation going first in that turning. It's taken out of Malachi. I want to talk this week about more about how to do that. So I've called it fathering a fatherless generation. Now when it comes to that, I, I, I am not just talking to dads in the room okay this is not a, a particularly gendered message there's a difference between how dads and mums are meant to work and, and all of that but that's that's not where i'm going i'm actually talking about generationally that's that's where i want to go right so so this can apply to you whether you're a father absolutely lots of application but a mother aunt uncle grandparent working with youth teacher working with kids Older member of the congregation, you want to see people coming after you, mentor, figure, whatever it may be, this has has stuff in here for you. And it is an essential role, this idea of the fatherly role, that that thing uh, 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 that that we are called to do in terms of turning around and looking for those coming after us, it's vital. It's essential, right? Uh, If we think about where we're at in our world, we are living in a very fatherless generation dads have left homes largely. We've separated, not entirely, but massive fatherlessness in a way we've never seen. And what do we see? We see uh, prison rates and crime rates and mental health rates and, and, and education rates are all wildly negatively impacted by this lack of fathers. And at the same time, as a culture, we're also, whilst fathers are failing, we're also failing fathers. We, we are rejecting them as a society. Um, I, you know, you, you have the sort of stereotype in, in sitcoms of, of, you know, the sort of frustrated smart mum and the dumb and lazy dad. That's a, that's a thing, that's a trope, right? I, I don't know how many of you have had the misfortune of watching Peppa Pig. Um, I I hate that piglet with a passion, okay, I really do. <laughs> Uh, she's so cheeky, she's so bad. And they just trash on the dad all the time, right? I have this wee thing with Jack. I say, if we ever see Peppa Pig in person, what do we do? And he goes, we turn her into a bacon sandwich, daddy. And that is absolutely right. That's my boy. And we're getting this attack on both sides. And yet, and yet, so, so, and, and again, apply it further than dads. There's an attack on authority. There's an attack on the older. There's an attack on legacy. There's an attack on honoring the things that have come before us. There's an attack on that. There's something in that sphere that we as a society, we just have this natural aversion towards. We go, no, no, no. We're going our own way. We're going to do it. It's year zero. We We're start from scratch. Everything behind us is terrible. And we are going to make our own brand new way. We're going to reject all of that. And in fact... The reality is that God has not called the world to work like that. God has always been a father. God has always been a father from before the foundation of the world. I heard someone put it this way. Uh, th- this idea of fatherhood is not something that we, came, that we saw in our world with dads and then decided, oh, that's a nice analogy for God. And we project it up into the heavens and try to understand God like that. It's actually something that has always been who God is and that he has projected down into the world. He created fathers and authority and those who have come before in older generations to project himself down into the world. It's not not, not our idea, it's his idea. Fathers show us something of God. So I want to take the idea of fatherhood, talking about fathering a, a lost generation, Or fathering a fatherless generation, rather. And I want to take an example from from the story of Jesus' baptism. Now you think, well, that's uh, interesting. What's that got to do with fatherhood? Well, it's one of the few places in the Bible where we see the father directly interacting with the son. This eternal, and it's the perfect father and the perfect son. It is the archetypal perfect moment of fatherhood. It, 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 this, is, this is, if we want to understand that, then, then this is a great place to go. I didn't take this idea out of nowhere. By the way, I b- borrowed this from, from a guy called uh, Douglas Wilson. He had a message on this. I listened to it a long time ago. I didn't go and sort of rehash it, but it, it, that's where that idea has come from. Just full disclosure on that. So so are we game to kind of unpack that a wee bit, Yeah. We're good? Good. Lovely. So let's go Matthew chapter 3, and we'll go uh, verses uh, 16 and 17. Now, Now, as you know, Jesus went to John the Baptist to be baptized. In Matthew 3, 16 and 17, it says this. And when Jesus had been baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. First thing we see here, presence, presence. The Father shows up. In this story, the Father is there. The Father comes close and interacts with the Son. This is something that, to be honest, when we look at sort of church history, we look at the many heroes of the faith, there's been a lot of great people who have had great ministries, but failed in that area. Majorly, majorly. Uh, There was a guy called David Livingston. Many of you would have heard of him. Sort of the 1800s. One of the greatest missionaries of all time. Explored and mapped and and discovered large parts of Africa. When it was really undiscovered to to Europeans at least. And he was doing this from a Christian perspective to open the way for the gospel. And and did phenomenal work. The, The evangelization of Africa has really been in many parts down to what he did. Wonderful missionary, did great things. But on that journey, what he also did was he had uh, a young family and a pregnant wife who was also nursing uh, uh, their, the child that had been born, and she couldn't keep up. And so he sent them away to, to live in Scotland, uh, in abject poverty, which is what Scotland is like. But, you know, he uh, sent them away, and they lived in a boarding house and, and, and just were in poverty their whole lives. He never saw them, just never, never saw them at all. His son died aged 18 in prison. And David Livingston wrote later on, he said, perhaps it had something to do with the fact that I never fathered the boy. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Pretty sure it did. Pretty sure it did. If, and he, and here's, here's the really dangerous thing, right? If we spend all of our time and we're just so focused on what we're doing, and we only show up in the lives of those coming after us in order to preach, and we say, everything, you know, I don't really care about you. All I'm going to do, I'm going to do the important thing, and then when I have a wee bit of time, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to tell you a wee bit. Do you know what? That is a guaranteed way for them to reject everything you say. It is a guaranteed way to fail in that. And there are increasing challenges on this area of presence and being present with those coming after us. Um, It used to be very much, uh, and for for most of human history, the the household was also the workplace. In fact, if you look in Greek, the, the word economy comes from the word oikos, oikonomia. Which means household. Uh, well, oikos means household. So, so, it was that idea? You worked in your home and your family. You basically everybody ran a f- small family business together. That was the vast majority of how work was done. And now, what we've what we've done is we've separated those things. And there's valid reasons for doing that. Uh, possibly, you know, we've gone a wee bit more work from home recently. But, but broadly speaking, work is done outside the home. Uh, and and we we. we have have divided between what we're doing and who we're doing it with. We, we've we've made a, a distinction of oh, there's this important thing I've got to do, and that thing comes later. Like the, the the relationship comes later. The relationship comes after. Now many times, look, you do need to provide. Of course you do. So so I'm not in any way saying quit your job and just spend time with your family. That's not it at all. But this idea of working tirelessly, staying on forever. Uh, you you know, to get the slightly better car and the slightly nicer meals out or whatever. Do, Do you know what? That is actually not what your kids need most. It really isn't. You do need to provide, but you don't need to be constantly trying to climb the ladder. There are people, right, just listen to this. A lot of the time we think, oh, I really want to make an impact. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do something that will do a small thing for lots of people far away. I'm going to have uh, you know, a ministry or I'm going to, going to do, do my job, whatever it can be, grow that. And it will. It can do you a lot of good. You can do small things for lots of people. But there are people that are close to you and what they need is actually you to show up. They need you to be present. They, you're going to have a big impact and the big impact that you're going to have is by actually being around them. People far away, they can be blessed by your projects. The people close to you, do you know what? They're blessed by your presence. They're blessed by you being in the room. They're blessed by you showing up. Uh, you, you, can, you can manage from afar. I don't think you can lead from afar. I don't think you can shape something. I don't think God simply, you know, we, we, we look throughout Scripture. Yes, God gave us his word, but the whole time he's dwelling in the midst of his people. And then he comes in Jesus to, to be present with his people. And the thing that I believe, that the next generation, we want to see them come to faith. The thing that they need most, more than anything else, is for us to show up. For us to be present in their lives. If you ask young people, who made the biggest impact on your faith? They will not tell you, to be honest, they're not going to say a book they've read. It's not going to be a celebrity preacher. It's someone they know. It's someone who's close. It's someone who built a relationship with them. Doesn't mean you can't do both, by the way. Of course, you can, you can. I mean, I'm literally preaching right now, okay? There's validity in that, right? So it's not that that's wrong, but there's something more. You can't delegate away all of that and expect them to follow you into what you want them to, to follow you into. You know, we can't simply say to our young people as a church that, look, what we want is you stay out of the room. And we're going to do this serious stuff. I, I believe in kids ministry. I believe in youth ministry. I believe in having a crash, especially when I am preaching. I really believe in having a crash, right? I do. Okay, and it's my kids. Okay, so but nonetheless, nonetheless, there's something about, do you know what, if revival breaks out, right, we see the presence of God, there should be something about, how do we get the young people into the room to feel and experience that? Or how do we take what's going on in here and make sure that we're bringing it out to them, that we're not simply going, you're on the sidelines, you get the junior thing, and we get the real thing. And obviously that grows and develops over time. But I think part of the reason why you see a lot of people and they go through church for 18 years and then they leave after that is they've never met the leaders. They've They've never been brought, they don't know who anybody in the room is except the ones that were out there with them. Nobody built a relationship. It's a real problem, real issue. I was chatting to a guy, uh, many of you may, may, may know of him a little bit anyway, Mitch, uh, who, Crown Jesus Ministries, does great, really great evangelistic work in Northern Ireland. And uh, I was talking to him, uh, I, he, I went to CFC with him uh, up in Belfast and uh, got a coffee with him one time. And, and he said, look, if there's anything in terms of ministry, you know, just, I could help you with or whatever, it was very kind of him, just took me out to sort of yeah, bless me. And I said, look, uh, there's I'm sure there's loads of questions, but the main question I actually want to know is, how do you manage to balance like ministry and family? His kids are doing really well. They're just solid in the faith. And, and he said, and I thought it was a brilliant idea, he said, I actually don't divide between the two. I don't divide between the two. I, I, I bring them with me into it. I don't just set them aside. Because so, if you divide between the two, then either what you do is, well, you don't see your family because you're doing ministry, or you, you spend this time with the family, but you're always feeling like you should be doing more. And they feel that tension as well. Like they will recognize that. So, I said, I, so he said, I don't do that. I just They just pile in. The kids are coming with, they're involved in it. They are part of it. You're giving them stuff to do. I tried this. I, I shared last week about uh, whenever we sort of first came here. Jack sort of struggled just that wee bit. He had always struggled with, with going along to taught stuff. And he was struggling with church. And uh, so so I remembered what Mitch said. I thought, well, why not just bring Jack down? I would come down in the midweek and I would do a bit of work and I would bring Jack's drumsticks. Don't tell anyone. And I would just chuck him in there and let him have a bash. And uh, it was one of those things. I later found out, by the way, that Craig was not a big fan of letting the kids have that. But keep, keep it quiet. He'll never know. Okay, he won't. Uh, But he started to love it. He started to get excited. He wanted to come to church. Now he wanted to come to church to play the drums. But it was a start. It was bringing him onto it. It wasn't, we're going here and I don't care about what you think. It's, how can I bring you into this? That's the first point. Presence. You want to reach the next generation. We want to see them come to faith. We need to get around them. We need to be present. We need to have them around us. Second one here. What do we see? Uh, We see potential. We see that the Father sees the potential in the Son. At this particular moment in Jesus' ministry, he has done nothing. right? He's—I mean, I mean, he's been sinless, so uh, doing did pretty well by most people's standards. But in terms of miracles, in terms of teaching, in terms of, of the blind seeing and the lame walking and the dead being raised, Jesus had done nothing. He was, to the outside world, what everyone, everyone else saw, was a normal carpenter. Okay? He could probably knock together Ikea furniture like that. Like that was, but that was it. That was kind of what people saw. And yet, it's at this moment that the father shows up, and what does the father say to him? He says, I see who you really are. Like I see what is in you. I see who you are. I know where this is going. And I'm going to tell you, I'm proud of it, and I'm excited about it. I'm excited about where this is going. Now, now, there is a difference here, right? There's a slight difference in that Jesus, as we said, was sinless, right? So we need to have a bit of balance. You don't want to be the parent who sees your child punching everybody and says, oh, aren't they so cute, okay? Because the rest of us don't think they're so cute. Okay, we really don't. You might think they have the potential. We think we have the potential to dropkick them, okay? That's, that's, that's what we are thinking. But nonetheless, it is very, very easy to look at young people, to look at people who are behind us in the field. Well, it doesn't matter, just younger than you, Right? Uh, or, or behind you in some way in the faith, who have not advanced the way you have, and to look at them uh, and see them doing something that's fundamentally like, good and wholesome, but at the same time, they're getting it a wee bit wrong, because they're not fully, I mean, we're all getting it a bit wrong, but you see the ways they're getting it wrong, and just write them off. and go, oh, it's, that's a lot of hype. That's not very deep. You know, like, how can they do that and dress like that? You know, which I do ask that question, you know, but but nonetheless, like, we see that. And we can very easily write people off because they're getting it a bit wrong. Can I tell you this? If you want to crush someone's spirit, criticize them for doing a good thing imperfectly. Criticize them for doing a good thing imperfectly. I tell you, there's a few conversations in my life that I, that I had that made a, a big difference. One of them was with Paul Reed when I was about 17, 18 years old. He was a pastor up at CFC, and many of you will know him. He comes down here and, and speaks fairly regularly. About that time, I got very fired up. Uh, I really did. I, I had an encounter with God and began just praying loads and reading my Bible. And I got really like, you know, getting into the gifts of the Spirit, going after it, and and that was good. And at the same time, to be honest, I was, I was weird. I know Craig says we don't do weird. I did. Okay, I did a lot of weird. Weird was my middle name, right? Which goes very badly with the surname Bambrick, I might add, right? So, so I was like fully weird. And it caused some challenges and issues in the church. It did. I was, I was a wee bit a wee bit intense, okay, to the point that it was causing issues. And, and the, I, I, under, I fully understand now, in hindsight, how the, the, some of the pastors and leaders uh, in the church were like look we need to put some guardrails on this but it became at least from my perspective I was like I'm trying to do this really good thing I've suddenly got fired up and it became like a little bit adversarial at least from my perspective. I don't think they had that perspective but I did. And I remember Paul Reed at the back at church one day said, Do you want to come and grab a meeting? And I was like I'd never chatted to Paul Reed. This is Paul this is you know leader of the church, right? I'm 17, 18 years old. I thought I'm getting told off. I probably like going to the headmaster's office. <laughs> I got a meeting with him and I brought my Bible because I was ready for a good debate right (laughs) 17 years old me versus Paul Reed this would have worked out poorly okay and I remember he just said honestly he just sat me down and said I've heard so much good about what God's doing in your life tell me about it and he just listened to me listened to what God had been doing and at the end of it all he said was fantastic great keep going keep praying keep reading your Bible keep going after God behind you all the way didn't, didn't correct the thing. And, and now I'm sure if I'd kept going like that for a long time, he would have said, he would have had that conversation. But, but he saw something important. He saw I was about six months into what was going to be a lifetime journey. He saw the potential. He didn't see the issues that everybody else saw. He didn't see the problems. He saw the potential. He said, there's something in that. I love it. I'm going for it. I bless it. And, and he knew that over time, I'd probably figure it out. Which some of you in the room probably think I still haven't, but broadly speaking, that was what he thought. He just, he just said that. And I wonder do we see our young people, do we see the next generation like that? Like, do you see the, the sort of shy and reserved one? And do you go, do you know what? Maybe they're really thoughtful about how other people feel. Maybe they're very careful with their words. Is there potential within that? I'm not saying is it perfect, but is there potential? Do, do we see the ones who are a little bit fiery and a little bit out there and go, oh, there, there's, there's something in there that God could use? Do we see them through the eyes of faith and not by sight, which is how we are called to live? Do we see them? Do we see our, our young people with, with, this, with this desire to go after God and go, there's really something powerful about that? Do, do we have young people going away on missions this summer? Going out with Exodus, we have people serving up in different areas around the country, people that went down to New Wine. Our young people are doing that. And as the church, we should be, do you know what? There's so much potential there. There's so much good in that. And everybody else might not see it quite that way. I understand, but we need to be like the Father. We need to be like the true Father and go, look, everybody else is seeing an acorn, but there's an oak tree in there. Like, everybody else is seeing the problems, but we're seeing the potential. Everybody else is seeing the sin. We're seeing the significance. We're seeing that God could take you and do something with you. And what we're going to do is we're going to bless that and say, we see it too. We see it too. If we want to reach the next generation, we have to see their potential. Point three. The Father praises the Son here. What does he say to him? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. He praises, he gives him affection, he says he's proud of him. I don't know if you've ever wondered how people end up joining cults. Uh, I, you know, you hear stories, normal young person, they end up, you know, a few months later they meet some people and, and you know, they end up at a mass wedding with a, you know, the moonies. Or, you know, that kind of thing. Like, you go, how did, how did that happen? Well, there's actually there's a there's a legitimate strategy that those groups broadly use, which is something called love bombing. Find someone who doesn't have a lot of praise, doesn't have a lot of affirmation, and give them lots of praise and affirmation. You're so wonderful. You're so great. Uh, We see that even today in some of our cultural movements and the issues we have, particularly around teenagers, uh, and uh, you know some some of these. Identities and and all of that stuff. You find they find these online communities and they get all this praise and affirmation from. Uh, and they're normally awkward and shy and reserved. And they don't get much of that from elsewhere. They don't get a lot with that with from their parents. And it builds a bond that draws them away from their families. And uh, I often wonder when I read this: who, who did God do this for? Who did the fathers say this for? Like, why why did this happen? Uh, you know, sometimes, well, there's a truth in that. This is a theological moment. This is like the Trinity, right? So, so there's like deep stuff in here. It's, it's, this is very useful for us. Very, very useful for us. Um, and and so, so I totally believe that. And it may even be primarily for us. But, but I do think that Jesus, now I think he would have deduced it from Scripture anyway, but I do think that Jesus really did need the approval of the Father. I think Jesus needed the Father to go. You're doing great. Like you're, you're, this is awesome. I'm really. I just think Jesus. I don't think the Father did this just for fun. I think Jesus could have just taught us about the Trinity. This seems to be something that, and there's maybe different views on this, but I think so. Now, if Jesus, the most secure man who had ever lived, needed praise and affirmation, how much more do our young people? How much more do those who are coming after us need our praise and our affirmation? And it's important to vocalize it, everybody. Sometimes you sit there and you sort of have nice feelings about people, right? And hopefully you do, okay? You sit there and you think, I quite like my family. They're great, you know? I like my kids. You know, hopefully you sit there at times and you just recognize, I have good people around me in life. Do you know what? If you don't say anything, they don't know you think that. They have no idea. They don't have a clue. It doesn't benefit them anything that you're emoting in their direction. You need to say something. You need to open your mouth and say, Do you know what? I actually think you're great. I love you. I think you're fantastic. And we need to do it. We, we do it really well. We do negative feedback really well. It's always specific. It's always at the time. It's always quite direct. But positive feedback, six months later we'll say, you're okay particularly guys like we struggle with this we struggle with saying that someone is great we're just not good at it and yet this is something that the father does and this is something that will be true of young people they will go where they are praised they will go where they are praised they will go where there's people who are saying you know what we're actually cheering you on we're really for you we really think you're awesome Uh, And if we want the affinity with us in the church to be stronger than the affinity that they have for all of the negative influences out there, we need to be the ones praising them more. We need to tell them. Tell them, like specifically, directly, immediately. We need to go, you are awesome. You are great at this. And we need to do it in public as well. I like that the Father shows up in public and does this. Like he does. I try and do this with Jack sometimes. Uh, we were away on holiday in, in Bulgaria. We we go out every year because as I said, Danny's from there. And we were at this hotel and they were doing this sort of kids' dance show thing. We had games and dances for we kids. And and all the dads are sort of stand you know, standing around the edge, and Eastern European men, you know, they're they're very stoic and reserved, okay, like me. And uh, <laughs> So, so the, the, and they went around all the kids. I remember one point they went around and said, can you do the alphabet? Now, Jack had just learned the alphabet at this point. So they go with the microphone. Who can say the alphabet? And Jack goes in, ABC, you know, all alphabet. And uh, I sort of went, this could be an opportunity. So I went, whose kid is that? What a genius. Brilliant. Wow. And everybody's looking. And Danny's like, I am not with that one. But I did. I was just like, and you know what? Jack, he's young. He loved it. He loved it. He thought it was great. He thought it was hilarious. Did the alphabet every time thereafter. No mic shyness at all. He just went for it. It was class. It was brilliant. And, and, and like, you need to do that with our young people. We need to be their biggest cheerleaders. And to, do it to the point where it's like, don't always embarrass them, but we need to do it a wee bit. Like We need to call some names out and just think they're fantastic. I actually did it last week. I'm going to do it again. Right in this room, we have some fantastic young people in this room. Do you know? We, as I said, we got young people going away on missions. We got Anna and Grace and and Katie going away on Exodus. Isn't that awesome, everybody? That is fantastic. It really is. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Like we should be cheering them on. We should be going. Do you know what? We'll like. Do you want to go first class? How can we help you? Like we will get you out there. Whatever it takes. We have we have Sam Anderson. Everybody, okay? We have Sam who leads worship up here. Sam, how old? How old are you? Nineteen now? Eighteen? Nineteen? Nineteen? Nineteen years old. I have never seen a nineteen-year-old who leads with that kind of confidence, that kind of ability, and presence of God. Presence of God. He should be, every time he leads worship, we should be given, was brilliant. Like just easily bruised, right? We want him hurt with our love. Like that's what we want, right? Johnny Goff. Johnny Goff helps out in our youth team and helping out for donkeys. Brilliant. Like just leads the games, interacts with young people. It's fantastic. It's such a blessing. We have, I don't know if Tebow's in the room. I know you're, uh, no, but uh, Alison's here. But anyway, you can watch it after. You can put this on for him. I was out in our tots thing, uh, or, or, or down in the crash. I was helping out crash, And Tebow's about, uh, is he 13 now? Something like that, 13. And uh, he was out there and brings has brought, brought his wee foster brother, Jack, in and just played with them the whole time and played all these games, made sure he was okay, interacted with all the young people, helped with the craft. It was just brilliant brothering. It's exactly how a disciple of Jesus should, should look like at 13 years old. It was, it was, I would have given him a job, okay, but child labor laws, prevent that. We have got to do it for free. It was awesome. That's point three. We need to praise our young people. A couple more quick ones before we close. The fourth thing they need is, is perimeters. Perimeters. Jesus said, or the father says to Jesus, with whom I am well pleased. Now, it's very clear in this passage that Jesus always kept God's laws, but it's also clear that God has a standard. Like, like that's in there, there's, there's potential for not pleasing God. Uh, God, interestingly, we see here that God proclaims his love first, says, beloved son, and then I'm well pleased. I heard John Bevere say something on this, roughly along these lines. He said, you know, love is unconditional. You can never make God love you more or love you less. But you can determine how pleased God is with you. And that will be based on obedience. That will be based on what you do. And it's interesting, it's in that context of love. Let's, let's say the context. We've talked about that context of, of uh, presence and of potential and praise. There's also that idea that there are rules, that there are good rules. God has very good rules. And they're the right rules. And to be honest, they're a high standard. Very, very high standard. You read what the Bible says that we are to be, it says, be holy as I am holy. That's, 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 a, that's a rule, and that's a high standard of a rule. Be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. Obviously, we fail in that. We need the grace of God. But one of the big issues in our world today is that we have stopped disciplining kids. Right? We just like we, we, we don't do it. We, we and, and you can get to like where it's super extreme and I'm not sort of advocating for caning the children constantly or anything, you know. But like but like you know, you need we do need actual rules. We hear nonsense like, you know, don't shout at your kids, just listen to them. Have you heard kids? I, mean, I talk some drivel sometimes. Like, they really do. I mean, you know, we can listen to them for a bit, and, you know, there's some truth in that. But nonetheless, like, if, you know, wh- why did you go around stabbing those other children? There's something wrong, maybe. You know, no. Like, you need to actually stop sometimes the behavior. You need to have rules. You need to have a standard. And kids are, kids are innocent, but they're not good, right? They don't bear weight, uh, or the weight of their actions. They're innocent, but, but that idea of being good, that's something that's trained, that's something that's developed, that's something that we, that we raise them to be, that's something that we, we hand down to them. And, and it's interesting when we see, talk back to literal fathers here, when, when dads leave the home, discipline goes down, just all over the world. Discipline deteriorates very, very badly. Uh, and so we do need to do something about that. You don't, as I said, you know, it's not Stalin's reign of terror, right? In your family, but like you know, sometimes you do need to give your kids a good talking to, and put them on the step. People ask me, do I do smacks in the hand? I say, not anymore. Danny started to hit me back. You know, <laughs> like. But uh, so, uh, uh, the where, the guy who who got this message from, he he termed it this way. He said, you know, the world is a moral minefield. Uh, and a, a licentious father, one who doesn't care about the rules, he'll just send his kids out. Oh, where you go. You know, go have fun, make your own mistakes. It's not great parenting, right? Now a legalist father, a legalist will chase them out there. So unpleasant to be around, they're going to just run out into it. But a loving father, a loving father will guide them through it. And sometimes that means don't go there. Like, like, stop now. We're going to shout now because actually, you need to know something now that that's not a good place. And someone's like, "Oh, well, this is the way. This is the way." Well, they need to have rules. They need to have standards. And particularly for the young people in in, in a church context, you know, we, we love them. We really do. We also want to push them to be godly. Like we really, do. I want a holy generation growing up in the church, and that will actually be. Um, Totally off script here. That, I believe, is going to be a witness to the world. It will be a witness where they say, Do you know what, you're offering me all of this you know, stuff that will just satisfy the immediate, but I have something more than that. I have something that I desire more, and I am willing to forego all of that to pursue this. I'm willing to, to lay down my desires, and I will live in a way that externally looks uh, restrictive almost it can look like why are you doing that but it's because in my soul i have found something better i have found something that matters to me more i find something that excites me more i find something that is better than that and so the way of jesus yes i have the the relationship and the grace but also his laws i'm going to love all of that i'm going to pursue all of that i'm going to keep All of that to the best of my ability. We do want to love them the whole way on the journey, but we do want to see them go on the journey. You know, so so like come as you are. It's true for all. By the way, all of this applies to all of us, okay? Come as you are. Like whatever state you're in, you are loved. We want you here. We really do. But don't stay as you are. Like don't stay there. God has something better than for you to simply follow your little whims and desires and whatever the world tells you you think you should need or it thinks you should need. So we need parameters. Last one here, very last. i keep it quick. The last point is power. You know, this, this whole thing, this is a divine encounter. Right? The whole thing. The heavens open, spirit comes down, the father speaks. This is, this is a divine encounter. This is God moving. And, and as the church, this is where we, we really get beyond what we can do, and we have to just rely on God. Because, because we can do everything right, but there is no substitute for God showing up and moving. You know that in your own life. You know that. There can be good people around you. You can be in a right place. They can do everything right, but it's when God moves. It's when God shows up. It's when he moves in their life. The father knew that Jesus needed a divine encounter. And we know that our young people, they need a divine encounter. I mentioned last week a book called The Myth of the Dying Church. It's got a great passage or a great chapter in it about passing on the faith to the next generation. And they give seven things that... uh, that really lead to a really high just statistical st- success rate. It was not just a, an idea; they did studies, and, and one of the seven things was this: seeing miracles. And this is not a charismatic book, by the way. Like it, it just it wasn't a this. You know, some Bill Johnson's book on this. This is this is like a, a quite a you know strict academic book. Seeing the power of God in a dramatic way. Like, there is something about that, right? Like, if you've seen people dramatically healed, it's kind of hard to be an atheist after that. It does blow up your power. Now, people manage it. Okay, they do. You can, you can convince yourself of a lot of stuff. But it is powerful. It is mighty. There is something about that. And so, as a church, I love that we pray for healing. We do it a lot in this church. But, but we need to go after it more. We need to go after more. We should be doing it all the time. I don't just mean in our Sunday services. I mean in your life. You need to go after it more and you need to bring the next generation into it with you. You need to say, you know what? The miracles don't just happen in here. They don't just happen in 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 the auditorium. They happen out in the shed. They happen down, down the hall in Tots. They happen on a Sunday evening. We're expecting God to show up. We, we, we need to urge them to get around stuff like that. Like, let's get them out on missions because they see God do stuff there that they don't necessarily see in their day we, we, we to day life. We need to say, look, here, I think this thing would be good for you. You might see something of the power of God in that. We need to invite them into praying real prayers. Like, like I, it's great to, to bring young people in and, and do, like, a sort of, you know, nighttime prayer and all of that stuff. We do, we do that. Every night we say prayers and and all of that. But we actually need to invite them into praying for big stuff as well. Like, the stuff that we're interceding for, like, really interceding for, like, bring them into that. We, we started last year, so January 22, uh, we, we started praying for a house. We were trusting God that we were going to be able to buy a house. Um, we, we found out we were having Caden, uh, and uh, we, we wanted we wanted to buy. And uh, in, the, in the natural, we had no hope of, of being able to do that. Not a chance. But we said, well, look, we want to do it, and look, why not bring Jack into it? Like, God hears Jack's prayers too. It was about three at the time. It was three at the time. And... Uh, we said, well, what kind of house do we want? And, and uh, we said, well, three beds, garage, good garden, and we'd like a kitchen sort of living space so the kids can play and do food, you know, and don't have to sort of keep running in between rooms. That was kind of our thing. And I remember saying, I wouldn't mind four beds, but Jack was like, no, three. Oh, fair enough. Okay, we'll pray for three. Fine. Don't need that extra room, Daddy. And uh, so, so in the summer, we went along to a conference, right? Now, this is, this is part of the story. Just track with me. We went along this conference. It was a healing seminar, and they said, well, look, we're going to do, like, line people up on either side, and you're going to walk through, and they're going to lay hands on you and pray that you just see more healing, right? Okay, great. We'll do that. No problem. And uh, so brought Jack, and he was there with us, and Danny and I go through, and we waited for forever, because everyone's waiting to go through this thing. we waited about 40 minutes. And we get right to the edge of it, and Jack just sort of sees all these people laying hands, and it just freaks him out. Like, he does not want to go. I was like, you're coming, right? We're we're going through this, like you're. So he's sitting there howling, I'm carrying, and, and the first person who lays hands on us goes, "The house that you've been praying for, God is going to give it to you." And then like four people later, and it's loud, by the way, so like they didn't hear each other. Like four people on down, same word. God's given you the house, and we go out, and Jack is so upset, he's so cross, like he's so angry. I never want to go to prayer again. This is terrible. And we were like. Jack, like, did you not hear the thing we've been praying for? Like, God spoke to them, told them about the thing. Anyway, long story short, come come autumn, uh, do you know what? There, actually, it was was involving my parents. that They, they helped out significantly, but we ended up being able to, to find a great deal. And what, what was the house like? Three beds, garage, big garden, kitchen living. Exactly what we had prayed for. Like, exactly what we had prayed for. And the offer was accepted. We had been praying that we would get it before we had Caden. Four days before he was born, the offer was accepted, right? Now, that is something Jack will not forget, okay? I mean, it scarred him for life, but you know, like, uh, like, like, like it is, he will know that. And when we are praying here as a church, whenever we're praying into things, whenever we, we hear stories like people in hospital, people having you know heart operations, whenever we're doing that, that shouldn't just be something for us to celebrate. It shouldn't just be something that we get to pray into. They should be praying into it too and celebrating what God has done. We talk a lot about miracles, revival, and the power of God, and yes and amen. The enemy right now, he's moving towards our young people. He's going after them as a generation. And I don't I don't think we're going to see the power of God until we find the same target until we go, well, that's what the enemy's doing, so do you know what? We're going to go after it even more. I think that's where we're going to see something. I want God to show up in a way that isn't just in response to our prayers, but is in response to theirs, where they see that when they pray for a revival, when they ask the Holy Spirit to come, when they say, hey, this person's sick, why don't we pray for them? When they say, look, oh, there's, there's this kid in school, and they're a million miles from God. Why don't we intercede that God would save them? And they start to see God moving, that is when we're going to see the power of God in a new way. It would be an absolute travesty if we raised up a generation through this church who had never seen God move. It would be devastating. And if we want to reach the next generation, those are the things we need. Presence, potential, praise, perimeters, and the power of God.